today's Old Testament reading will be from Joshua 1, 1 through 4. That's page 199 in your Pew Bible. After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, son of Nun, Moses, aid Moses, my servant, is dead. Now then, you and all these people get ready to cross the Jordan River into the land I'm about to give them. To the Israelites, I will give you every place where you set your foot. As I promised Moses, your territory will extend from the desert to the to Lebanon and from the great river, the Euphrates, all the Hittite country to the Mediterranean. Mediterranean Sea in the West. The New Testament reading is Revelation 21, verses 1 through 4. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down from heaven. God prepared as, prepared as a bride beautifully dressed for her husband, and I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear away from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. I can't tell you how great it is to be able to be back with you again this Sabbath and uh, your sanctuary, your family, look beautiful today. As I was looking around when I first came in and I looked at all the, dec- the beautiful decorations, I thought to myself, you know, this is really wonderful, not just for the joy it brings to the church family, but in its significance of telling God how much we appreciate what you've done in your son and the gift that you made. Uh, I think the decorations just add to... To God's joy in this particular day, and I want to thank you for that. They're they're really gorgeous. The music was fantastic, and of course, uh, you all look very very good today. I'd like to invite you, if you would, if you just bow your heads with me for a moment. Let's invite the Holy Spirit to be with us. Our dear Lord and Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for how much you love us and for the wonderful gifts that you give. I thank you for um, this time of year in which we can celebrate and revel into the great gift in the great gift you've given us. I would ask that today you send your Holy Spirit to, um, to guide, to develop within us an understanding to be with me as I share so that each one would hear your words instead of mine. We ask above all things that we receive a blessing that we'll be able to share with others this week. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I'm having a little difficult here. I shouldn't. Can you hear me okay? Okay, this... um, I couldn't figure out how anyone with such large ears could have trouble keeping this device on it this morning. It's a real challenge, uh, but it's here. Um, The value of a journey. If you can remember back when you were young, 
and you're heading somewhere special with mom and dad, there are four words that were always said several times along the way. (laughs) Are we there yet? Um, As my kids were growing up, I heard that often. I can remember my parents saying something like that. If you ask one more time, you know, (laughs) we're turning around or something like that. My mom and dad loved to travel every Sabbath afternoon. This is because gas prices were so low back then. Every Sabbath afternoon, after the church service, after the potluck, mom and dad would look at each other and say, who are we going to go to visit today? And we'd get somebody out of bed somewhere <laughs> and uh, surprise somebody on a Sabbath afternoon. And, and in that, um, mom and dad always loved to go someplace that required some travel. Dad liked to do it because it meant he could put the top down on the car. For us kids in the back seat, it meant freezing to death on the floorboard, huddling to the bottom of the floor, trying to keep warm. And, um, and they always went someplace that they wished they could live someday, never got to. So I can remember Sabbath afternoons in Beverly Hills and downtown uh, Palace Verdes and different places. It was always something, but always For the kids, it was getting there that was exciting, not the journey. It's when we're going to arrive. But the interesting thing I found for us as we grow in life and develop, it's not so much getting there that is valuable as the experience along the way. I'm going to indulge myself just a little bit, and I hope that if, um, if I do it too much, it'll at best bring someone to the point of being able to say they had a wonderful rest this morning. <laughs> I'm, I'm kind of unique, not just because of the big ears, but because I was born in Long Beach, California. And everywhere you go, there's not all those many people here that uh, actually were born here. But in that experience, my mother said I was born in a veterans hospital, which no longer exists as such. It's been torn down a long time ago. Um, My parents anticipated me, and my dad was uh, in the Philippines when I was born, soon uh, to be able to come home. My parents say you were born three days before the Japanese gave up. That meant that evidently they got discouraged when you were being born and and they just knew they had to give up. And uh, so I can remember all sorts of things when I was growing up. But you know, there's one part of my journey in life that stands out more than all the others. After God gave me the wonderful blessing in my late, late teens, growing up a Seventh-day Adventist, I did not grow up, and I'm not blaming anyone for this, but I did not grow up with a, with, with a feeling that I was going to make it to heaven. I was sure that no matter how hard I tried, I wasn't going to make it. And when I was about 19 years old, God brought a transformation in, li- in my life, He showed me in a very private time that he loved me dearly and he was accepting me the way I was. He knew he could change me and make me into something. And I began to experience the very beginnings of 
of being able to understand assurance of salvation and the joy one could find in Jesus Christ. After that experience, I felt called into ministry. I wanted to work with young people, but to get there, I had to go to seminary. And so my wife and I loaded up the, the dependable only four-year-old car and got in it and slept in it and drove it across the country. Unfortunately, it broke down two times on the way. We arrived in Michigan in quite a different experience for a California boy. I can remember, and my wife remembers vividly when I said, when is it going to snow? And then she remembers vividly the, the three or four weeks later when I was asking, when is it going to melt? <laughs> and we had a long ways to wait. We had a wonderful time in, in that particular time, but God had an interesting experience for journey. I was not sponsored. We went there on faith. God took care of us. We had a wonderful time. But as time progressed, we began to get a little concerned about where we're going to get to go in ministry. One day, one, a former conference president that worked in this conference, and I helped wash dishes in his endeavor to be youth director, um, said, came to campus and greeted me and said, how would you like to come to the south? And I said, is the south warm? <laughs> and he said, yes. And I said, we'd love to come. And, uh, and so we found ourselves finishing seminary, getting into the car and heading south for camp meeting. Camp meeting was in Mount Pisgah, South Carolina, North Carolina. And um, the strange thing is that people talked funny there. And... Uh, and when camp meeting was over, I had made all sorts of friends. I even found somebody I looked like. <laughs> and, uh, and it was a wonderful thing. But then we headed straight for our first assignment. Two churches and a company in South Carolina. The church that jumps out in my memory as being so special in that journey was a little church in Camden, South Carolina. Not so much about the church, although it was fairly new. I think we were the second pastor. It was clean as a pin. It was a little little uh, colonial style set out on a lovely uh, lawn around it with pine trees and things like that. And uh, the, we had a doctor in that congregation. And on Friday afternoons, I could always find him down at the church picking up pine cones for the Sabbath, tossing them to the side. And uh, I was thrilled because the doctor drove a Rolls Royce and that was pretty impressive to me. But what I remember most in this morning as I was thinking about sharing this with you, began to... Sorry. I began to think about all the people there that I'd grown to love so much. One of my friend's mothers was my treasure there. He's living in Riverside now. He told me the other day he went back and visited. He said, that's the friendliest church I've ever been to. He hasn't been to Santa Clarita yet. (laughs) He said, it was such a friendly church. And he said, I just love the people so much. The reality is that's been almost 40 years since I've been there. And all the lovely people I've been, if I go back, I can visit them in one place at one time because they're almost all in the little Quaker cemetery just down the down the way from the church. But I remember so well 
all the Billy Joes, Bobby Joes, and Bubba's, <laughs> and all the different people that I got to know there so well and shared their lives with me. I remember that um, I learned that people that were even um, 40 and 50 years old would refer to a lady by Mrs. or Ma'am and a man by Sir or Mr. And I, I remember my, I couldn't help but thinking as I, as I was thinking about each one of them, they came alive again. And I could see them. One of my favorite people was uh, a lady that was a Bible worker for the church, but she wasn't paid. It was all free. She was a southerner to the core. core. She, had, she had been born there, raised there, and I don't know if she'd ever left the county. Miss Team, she was a special one. She used to gather me up and take me in the car. Generally, I drove, and when we got to the house out in the countryside and the gate was open and 20 or so hounds would come out to meet us, she'd be the brave one that got out and, and, and talked to the dogs while I slipped out the other way and ran for the door. She had all the stories in the world, and it was interesting. There was Mr. Forrest. Forrest was his first name, but we always called him Mr. Forrest. And his brother Melvin, who, was, um, who had come to the town to take care of trees and end up whole, owning them all. There was a, a very special Presbyterian pastor that hosted our church to get it started before it was built and became my mentor and best friend. I was, think, I was thinking today, wouldn't it be fun to play ping pong with Walter again? in the garage. While we were there, he told me he liked ping pong so much he converted his garage into a ping pong room so we could ping ping pong every day. Um, There were so many wonderful people along the way that added so much to my life that when I remember that experience, I don't remember all the difficult times and the sad times. What I do is I remember the people that made life so special and full and added so much to it. We were young. We had challenges. We didn't know when we were ever going to get to go back to California. Um, But somehow in that journey, the journey itself and the people that were a part of that journey and the experience of that part of the journey made that time more special than arriving someplace. In fact, I've told people many times, as I look back at those years in in the South, we spent time in South Carolina and North Carolina. I'll never forget that, and I can't do this without a little bit of the Southern twang. Um, I'll never forget when we left South Carolina to go to North Carolina. Miss Team invited us over to the house with her husband, Ben, Ben sat with us. Miss Team brought us a, a little envelope and said, this is for you. And on the outside, it was written, the South shall rise again, Southern Care Package. And as we opened it up, it had a 15 and a $20 Confederate note in it, just in case we needed. <laughs> and I'll never forget Ben saying to me, well, y'all going to North Carolina, huh? I said, yeah, we're going we're to be going to North Carolina. 
said, well, y'all be careful. Them's some weird people up there. <laughs> you know, when I look back at those times that I've told my wife and other individuals, that was the most adventurous mission experience I ever had in my life. I love being back home, but I remember each moment of that journey in the Carolinas just like it was yesterday. And each of the people can come alive if I sit and take the time. All the stories and all the experiences and all the wisdom of individuals that, um, that I will cherish forever. The interesting thing is that when we look into Scripture, we find a lot about the journey. I appreciated the young men reading the scripture today. If you look back in the book of of Joshua, actually, um, if you have your Bible, you can look at um, jo- uh, the first chapter of Joshua, and then I want you to turn back about a, one page and look over at the third verse of chapter 33 in the book of Deuteronomy. That's the easy way to find it. Just go to Joshua and turn back to one page. One of the most significant group of people we have in history that had a journey is the Hebrew nation as Moses led them out of the... uh, the experience that they'd found themselves in slavery in in Egypt. Um, They must have been an interesting group at the time. And it's amazing to me that God knew just the person to select and selected Moses and then asked Aaron to have a responsibility too, his brother. They were reluctant in doing that, but somehow in this journey that took 40 years, in that 40 years of traveling, somehow Moses end up being the most significant person probably in all of Jewish history for the Hebrew people. If you're, if you're, you know, if you're around individuals that are, that are um, spiritual um, Jewish individuals, probably the most significant individual beyond God in their experience, is Moses. After all, he is the one who carried the law. He's the one who God wrote it for with his own finger. And yet, in that journey of 40 years, I don't think the people were always happy with Moses. (laughs) And it didn't always go so well. And it was difficult at time. But the interesting thing is when that 40 years is over... Every single individual, except for, I believe, two, that had made that journey didn't get to go to the finish line. They didn't make it all the way. Even Moses, the leader, didn't make it, which indicates to me that the value for all those people, perhaps three million people, was the journey, not the arrival. The important thing was the journey, not the arrival. When you look 
in Deuteronomy chapter 33, verse 3. Moses is looking back of, at all 40 years. God has told him, I'm gonna, I want you to come up to this mountain and I'm going to lay you to rest. I'm going to show you, Canaan, you'll be able to see it, but you're not going in. And Moses doesn't rebel against that. He doesn't get upset and he's not a weak guy. He walks to the mountain by himself. <laughs> he's doing fine. They say he has a, a crystal clear memory. He's as good as to go, and he's 120 years old. God says, I'm going to lay you to rest here. I'm going to let you see the land. I'm going to let you, uh, but you finished. And Moses says, great. And he walks up there, and he spends time with God. And before he does that, he takes some time with the, with the people he's led out. And he actually, in this chapter, begins to talk to each one of the tribes. He describes some specialness about them, how much he appreciates them, and then he sums up his feelings about that whole journey. And this is what he says. Indeed, he loves the people. He's referring to God. All thy holy ones are in thy hand. And they follow thy steps. Everyone receives thy words. Basically, Moses sums up the journey. Not talking about himself, not talking about the people. He's talking about God. And he says to them, my summation of 40 years is that God really loves you. Indeed, he loves you. You're important to him. You've been important to him. He loves you each and every one. Loved ones, I've come to conclusion that the journey in life is to teach us how much God really loves us. Last night, I was talking to a close friend. He's not a Christian yet, but he's asking me questions. And we've known each other for 30 years. So God's taking his time here. But he's going to do it. I'm, con- I'm convinced he's going to do it. And um, Bob is really having a tough time. Bob lost $100,000, pretty much everything he has, in an investment, it doesn't look like it's going to come to do to fruition. He's working on it. He's trying to make it work and everything, and he's trying to figure out, now what do I do? He's pretty discouraged. The reality, though, is that life isn't about that one issue. That's a component. But that issue can be used by God to, for God to tell Bob, I love you. I love you. I take care of you. I'll get you through. In my own personal experience, I found over and over and over, when I look back on it, I can see that God was taking me through the rough times and the difficult times and the challenges there all the time and saying, this is all a part of the journey. It's making you who I want you to be. And I will take you. Now, the interesting thing to me, in Moses' experience, it wasn't about arrival. It was about the journey. 
You look on in the Old Testament, you can find all the times that followed that entry into Canaan. You can see that people had good times with God, but mostly they fell away from God. They had to learn the hard way. I think the story's still being written for the Hebrew people, you know, as individuals, as it, as it uh, plays out in, gray, in, the, in the bigger part of the journey. But what you do see when you look back from a Jewish standpoint is that most of the valuable things came out of the journey. Most of the valuable things that they still teach and share among themselves and, and observe and, and live by came out of the journey. 2011 will go down in history and North America as being one of the most challenging years for us. It, it has been challenging. There are folks that have lost homes, folks who have lost their retirement, folks that are trying to figure out what do we do now, how do we get along. But I believe God wants us to focus on this is a part of the journey. I love you. Hold on. We're going to a better place. I'd like to share with you something found in the book of Revelation, chapter 21. I think it's interesting to me that from a biblical standpoint and actually for our own personal lives there's only one historical thing that I can find where the arrival is actually going to be better than the journey Um, and this is found in the book of Revelation chapter 21. I know when I travel to see my kids, it's fun to get there. And uh, with airlines and all that kind of stuff, you can do it quite quickly and you miss all the good stuff along the way. I was in Kingman, Arizona for a couple of days on business here recently. And I found Route 66 again. <laughs> and once again, I relieved, relived just a little bit of the excitement of the journey we used to take as we had to go back to the seminary or going any place to east, traveling that old Highway 66. Um, I wanted to go farther and see the teepees, <laughs> and I wanted to see all, some of the things, but, but some of it doesn't exist anymore. Um, but it, it was all the lore of the journey. And yet, what we see in the book of Revelation, chapter 21 is something far more beautiful than that. There's something I want to share just before I get to that. This time we're experiencing right now, today, the things that we'll be doing to prepare for the 25th of this year, when we take time to not only experience the joy that God has given us through Jesus Christ with our families, but we also can do it intimately by saying, God, I really thank you for what you're, 
your son did, what you did, what this baby who came incarnate with God, the gift to us of eternal life, it's, it's this wonderful time of year when we can focus on those kinds of things. But an interesting thing is you, if you look in the book of Matthew, just turn back with me, put a finger in, in Revelation. But if you look in Matthew, um, you find an interesting picture. Jesus, too, had a journey. And his was... Um, filled with challenges like ours are. Maybe even more so than ours. In chapter 2, we find that his journey starts out in Bethlehem where he's born. But soon, he's taken, not in the old car that'll break down, but probably the old donkey that will. And and he goes with a family and ends up in a foreign country. Missionary right at the very beginning. That's for his safety, to survive. That could not have been an easy time for the family. That had to be felt, felt with great peril. But God was with them. The father was with him all the time. The journey didn't end there. In chapter 8 of Matthew, you find something interesting. In verse... Uh, 20 in response to somebody that said, I want to follow you. I want to be with you all the time. Jesus' response was to him, the foxes have holes and the birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. (laughs) Um, That makes my problems dim a little bit. For Jesus was in a constant journey during his years of ministry not too long, three, three years. But he had no home to call his own, no possessions to call his own. He was on a journey. It seems to me that as I have traveled through my journey in life, I've spent too much time trying to make nests <laughs> and to make it permanent. And yet Jesus didn't do that. He was journeying right on through because he knew where he was going to arrive. And back in Revelation chapter 21, this is the arrival. And I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth passed away and there was no longer any sea. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, made ready as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is among men, and he shall dwell among them, and they shall be his people, and God himself shall be among them. And he shall wipe away every tear from their eyes, and there shall no longer be any death. There shall no longer be any mourning, or crying, or pain, for the first things have passed away. That's the arrival. Wouldn't it be neat? I've been told there's going to be a welcome table, a giant potluck, if you will, further than the eye can see, and all these people to meet, 
people you've heard about, people you've admired, people you wanted to be like, they're all there. Old friends, people from the church, people coming from the Little Quaker Cemetery, people coming from when I was in the Carolinas, I can remember hiking through the woods and finding a small cemetery that only had stones for headstones and wondering about the people that had come from there. On the day this happens, I will see them come forth. Those simple rocks will move and they'll be resurrected to join in that welcome table, to be greeted by God, to be hugged and assured that it's great to have you here. You're back home at last. And all the adventure just begins from that point forward. It's not a journey anymore because that journey has no end. It's an arrival with no end and an adventure with no end. Loved ones, it's my hope and my prayer that in this season, when we reflect on the journey of those that came before us and the journey that we're involved in ourselves right now, that we will not get discouraged in that journey, but we'll hold on to Jesus Christ and allow him to hold on to us until the day he comes to make us a part of the great forever, the great arrival that rivals no other. It's better than all others. And that the time in the interim be spent not on all the things that are goofing up in our lives, but but can be spent on those around us who God too wants to include in that great arrival and that great experience. May you have a blessed, Christ-centered Christmas. May your journey be one that's filled with joy and happiness, with the assurance of God's presence, and with a focus on eternity. Let's pray. Our dear Lord and Heavenly Father, We thank you so much for your love and your caring. Remind us that this life is not our home. We're just passing through. Hold on to us and give us the courage, the discernment, the empowerment to do the best with this time we possibly can. May we have your strength and your power that lifts us and carries us to the arrival. And may we enjoy seeing you, being with you, and take as many along with us as your Holy Spirit will empower us to. We thank you for this. In Jesus' holy name we pray. Amen.